you should consult with your doctor before implementing anything heard in this episode. For more information, read our show notes. So your taste buds actually regenerate every two weeks. So ideally, it wouldn't take much longer than that for your taste buds to change. What takes longer to change, though, is habits. This is Dr. V. Welcome back to another episode of Office Visits with Dr. V. I am your host, Benita Vernado, board-certified OBGYN and board-certified lifestyle medicine physician. And I'm bringing you guys another, mm, another episode where you need to get your pen and paper out because we're getting ready to go to school. We are going to school and I am so excited to have our guest today. She is uh, she's an expert in a field that doctors honestly don't get much training in. Uh, so for me in my practice, nutritionists, they fill in the gap. They fill in the gap. And so today we have a registered dietitian. She is awesome. We have Mary Ross Fowler. Welcome, Mary Ross. Hi, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Uh, I'm so happy to have you here as well. Um, I tell patients and friends and family, when I'm doing this podcast, I'm learning right along with the listener. So this is your show today. Feel free. I I know we have some things. We're going to be talking about autoimmune diseases and plant-based diets and lupus, but this is your show. This is your show. Okay. Okay. Great. (laughs) All right. So uh, let's get into it. I think you have an amazing story, um, a personal story that really ties you into the importance of a plant-based diet. So share with us a little bit about your backdrop, your backstory. Okay. Well, in 2008, about 15 years ago, I was a junior in college at Davidson, just not too far from here. And I had had a really rough first semester and I noticed that I had a rash on my face and I didn't think too much about it but it had been there for a couple of months and it wasn't changing and I just assumed that it was some kind of a reaction to the new makeup that I was using or something like that so when I was on break winter break I was back in Nashville which is where my parents live And I just went to my pediatrician because I didn't even have a primary care physician at the time. And he said, I don't want to alarm you, but that is a telltale symptom of lupus. And I said, I don't know what lupus is, but I'm alarmed now. So um, we, he signed me up for a few more tests and he, he wanted to check my kidneys primarily because there's a lot of kidney involvement with lupus patients. And they did a skin biopsy on my face where the rash was. And I found out that that was what they call the Malar rash or the butterfly rash that's on your cheeks and and the bridge of your nose. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and I was totally, you know, not familiar with that. I hadn't had any previous health issues in my life. And so it was just a very new experience for me to have to go get all these tests done. And I came back a month later and I had a actually had a kidney biopsy and I remember watching the 
uh, Davidson Gonzaga basketball game because Stephen uh-huh. Curry was starting his run for March Madness, and that was just the time of oh, Stephen Curry. Oh, you were there when Steph Curry was there. Yes, he was one year behind me, so I feel that's my claim to fame. Oh, shout <laughs> out, Steph! Shout out. Okay, yes. okay. all right. the butterfly race. Yes, yes. Look at the biopsy. Yes. So, all that to say, everything was positive for lupus, and um, they told me that I would be on dangerous medications for the rest of my life, and it did not look good. My parents were obviously very upset, and my mom just went into full research mode. And I went back to school and was very down about it. Of course, you know, WebMD tells you you're going to die soon. I mean, it's just very, very upset about it. I mean, it's a big, a big diagnosis. And my mom actually found Joel Furman, who has written several books, and his most famous is Eat to Live. Mm-hmm. And she read that and she told me, you know, change your diet, you eliminate sugar and alcohol. And I mean, it was a lot for a college student to hear. And she said, if you go full plant-based, and she said that it, he, he just, he's put people into remission. So that didn't make sense to me. And I said, you know, I feel like I eat pretty well. I mean, I get a salad every now and then, you know, I mean, college student thought I was okay. Um, but I said, okay, just to appease her. Said, okay, I'll I'll try it. And within three weeks of doing this, my rash was gone. I was feeling better because the meds were not touching it. They they were they started with Plaquenil, which is sort of the basic um, drug that they try, and it wasn't doing anything for me. But the diet really made a difference, and I felt okay. so much better. And I thought this is this is amazing. And I knew it wasn't the placebo effect because I didn't think it was going to do anything. I mean, I, I'll just tell my mom I tried and it didn't yeah, do anything. Yeah. Um, but it was really amazing. And so I became interested in nutrition and the science and the explanations to what's going on in my body and why why is this working so well? Whoa. And I just lived at the student union salad bar <laughs> because I had to finish finish out college. I had one more year. And of course, senior year, we had a kitchen in our apartment. So that helped. But it was, I mean, I wouldn't say I avoided all alcohol, but <laughs> for a while there, I was doing it 100%. And it was very effective. And I didn't have any symptoms for three years. And I didn't even get a cold or the flu or anything. Okay, three wait years. a minute. <laughs> back up. Back up. Back up. Okay. I have a question. Okay. So my question is, is okay. You said you thought you were eating pretty well, and I know for a college student, you know, if you eat a salad every now and again, that's well. But what did you actually take out of your, um, or what did you do differently than what you were doing before? Because there's somebody who's listening that's saying, "I eat good." Mm-hmm. What did you do? What did you change? So, I mean, I was your typical college student who was more concerned about being slim than health you know my future health so i was i was eating a lot of like baked chicken and things like that that i would say the standard american would say is good for you or i would do like if i was eating out i would order a caesar salad with salmon and i thought man this is a really this is really healthy but i was still drinking i was drinking a 20 ounce regular coca-cola every afternoon that was my 
study aid treat to myself every day. We're not not diet, but regular. Regular, regular, yes. And I did a lot of like chicken quesadillas, the student union. Um, they did a bread bowl with chili in it, and they would melt the cheese over the top with a big scoop of sour cream. That was my favorite dinner. <laughs> so, I mean, I felt like I was doing okay because I believed that dairy's good for me. Um, you know, I just felt like I was pretty balanced with my diet. It wasn't overdoing it with with the junk, but I I am addicted to sugar. So that was probably my biggest downfall is that I would go for the chocolate and things like that in addition to my Coca-Cola that I had every day. So so I had to, it was a big change. I mean, it, it is a big change, especially for a student who isn't cooking, really. Um, yeah, I just lived at the salad bar, really, because you're trying to avoid oil too, which is very hard. So eating out, that kind of eliminates eating out. I figured out I could do veggie sushi. Um, wow. Oh, that's amazing. So and I, we're going to get into you know, what it looks like if you're a plant-based eater, you know, what does a day in the life of a plant-based eater? And I'm thinking that sounds like a dinosaur, a plant-based eater. <laughs> but we'll get into it, y'all. Um, just keep listening. We're going to, maybe Beth's going to tell us, you know, what that can look like and how delicious and feeling a plant-based diet can be. So you were a junior. I take it your major wasn't nutrition, right? <laughs> No, they didn't even have that at Davidson. I was a political science major. I was on the path to law school. That's just what I wanted to do. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So we have this epiphany. My What I put in my body actually affects my health. And what do you do with it from there? What happened? So I continued on the law school path. That's just what I wanted to do. And the economy crashed, in case you forgot, mm-hmm. <laughs> on the 08. So, yes. So I graduated in 09 and things were still bad, but I decided I'm going to go back to Nashville. I'm going to work at a law firm downtown for a year and just work on studying for the LSAT. And um, everybody, everybody was saying, don't go to law school. Attorneys are getting laid off across the country. Unless you're going to Harvard or Yale, it's not a good idea right now. And so I said, well, I'm not going to Harvard or Yale. So I kind of pivoted at that point and also working at the law firm kind of made law firm made me realize it's not really what I want to do because mm-hmm. I knew I wanted a family and I didn't really want to invest all the money in law school and then just practice law for a few years and then quit or I don't know I just didn't really I wasn't really feeling it and yeah. my mom said well you're really interested in nutrition I mean in your free time you read nutrition science books so why don't you make that your career and it just had not occurred to me. So once again, my mom swooped in and Yay, mom. <laughs> helped me listen to your mothers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I looked into it and it involves essentially four years of undergrad pre-med courses and then a year of an internship. So I started taking night school classes and I already had a few of them that I could transfer from Davidson that worked. Mm-hmm. But I just started doing some night classes, got in the organic chem and other other courses that I needed. <laughs> Telling you, take those at community college if you can. <laughs> <laughs> it makes life better. Yeah. 
So, um, so I did that and then I applied to the nutrition program at David Lipscomb because it has to be a certified program. And then I started dating my husband who lives in Winston-Salem. So we were doing long distance for a while. And so I had to apply for my internships. And fortunately I got into UNCG, which was the closest one to Winston. So that's how I got to North Carolina. And then we got married while I was doing that. So it worked out. Well, you know, for the listeners, a part of what I do is about purpose and destiny. And I you know, okay, I know y'all want to hear the nutrition information, but I always love to hear somebody's story and how they get to where they they are because there always is a way that brings you into your purpose. And not that we want anybody to have lupus, but that is a major, major uh, serendipitous find back in that day that lupus could cure, I mean, that a plant-based diet could affect your disease. So Let's switch gears. Let's talk a little bit about lupus. So, you know, how many people in the world get lupus? What is lupus? Uh, I know it falls under the autoimmune condition. So tell us a little bit about those as well. So lupus is not easy to diagnose. It takes multiple tests. So it's often misdiagnosed. Um, I've had new doctors who question whether I actually have it. (laughs) They they look at my blood work. And I say, no, I had a, a kidney biopsy. And so they, they you know, Back on. verify it from that. Yes. But um, it's an autoimmune disease, which your immune system is very important. And it turns on when you have injury or virus to protect your body. But when you have a lupus, that immune system doesn't know when to regulate itself. So it doesn't know when to turn off. So sometimes if I get like when I got COVID, it caused a mild flare and I could see that in my blood work. It caused inflammation and I got a little out of control. So lupus is kind of crazy because it can affect any organ. So it's like your immune system is attacking your good tissues instead of a virus or something like that that you need it to, to attack. So with most patients, it can attack the kidneys. Sometimes it can attack the lungs, the skin, the joints. Sometimes if I have eaten out and I'm not sure what kind of oil the food was cooked in, I'll wake up in the morning with joint pain. Um, But that usually resolves after a few hours. But lupus affects 1.5 million Americans, and there are about 16,000 new cases each year. So it's pretty prevalent, but they don't really know what causes it. They think it's a combination of genetics, environmental, or... um, Uh, hormonal factors and it's interesting because 90 percent of the cases are women so that was sort of implicate hormones in that and it's you they're usually diagnosed during the childbearing years so between 15 and 45 so that's interesting yeah that is that is i will say as an obgyn i didn't diagnose a lot of lupus um i suspected a lot of lupus um OBGYNs, by the way, we only take care of women. So, um, but I, I I saw quite a bit of patients with lupus. Um, so that's a very 90% of women. I didn't know it was that high. That's crazy. And, and it's even higher in the black and Latina communities too. Yeah. yeah. Which is really interesting. Wow. Hmm. Okay. So women are listening to this. 
you gave us some of your symptoms, but can you just kind of run through like, if somebody's listening today and the doctors can't figure out what's wrong with them, what kind of symptoms might one have if they have undiagnosed lupus? I would say fatigue is a big one that's mm -hmm. kind of easy to miss because a lot of different things can cause that. Mm -hmm. um, so fatigue, anemia, hair loss, rashes on the face are kind of a telltale yeah. sign. Joint pain. Sometimes you will have tingling in your fingers or finger swelling is a big one. Um, trying to think. I mean, because kidney, the kidneys, you can't really tell. I'm yeah. looking for it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it can affect your GI symptom, your GI tract. It can, it can affect everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, for the person listening, you said those are very vague. I know for me, women who have heavy periods, they're anemic, which makes them tired and they can lose their hair. So, okay, right. My hands, if you're listening, you know, put this <laughs> on there too. Um, once that, once their anemia gets corrected, you know, if they're still feeling bad, consider that. So I know you are not a physician, um, but you are a lupus patient. So what are some of the labs that they, uh, what are, what's the lab work that they're following for you that they're checking? So they're the, the biggest one is the C-reactive protein and that is the, the marker of inflammation. So my doctor, I go to a rheumatologist and he will look at that and see if, if those markers are elevated, then there's more inflammation in my body. And we try to pinpoint, okay, do you, do you have a virus? Have you had a virus recently? Have you had surgery? Anything that could cause that that's not lupus. And then he'll ask me what my symptoms are. But he also looks at my red blood cell count, platelet count, white blood cells, because those can be affected as well. Right. But those are the main ones that he looks at. And then I always have urinalysis done because if there's protein in the urine, that means there's something going on with the kidney filtration that's allowing the proteins to escape. Right. So, um, okay. but that has been pretty good. I mean, the last I had kidney involvement was during pregnancy. Pregnancy can throw off lupus. So. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. <laughs> but as you know. Yes, it can. So. So, so she said C-reactive protein. The other test that she described was a, a CBC, complete uh, blood count. Yeah. And then your analysis, that's peeing in a cup, which we really don't do anymore, um, just routinely. Uh, so um, that would be something that would be very specific to your condition. Um, a lupus anticoagulant is something that um, I draw, you know, just to kind of check if you're screening it out. But most of the I would say primary care physicians, and I'm just telling y'all word on the street is that, you know, we don't, you already said it's easily, um, it's, it's, it's misdiagnosed a lot of times. And so rheumatologists are the specialists that handle lupus. They know the specific labs to order. And a lot of times we either don't order the right labs or we order too many. And these particular labs are not cheap. So um, to the listeners, if you're out there, you know, don't get your list from Google of the lupus panel and go to your primary care doctor and say, order all of this uh, because th that's not their specialty. But there are definitely are some screening labs um, that can be done for sure. So, OK, I'm really enjoying this um, because 
this is something I think that somebody's probably thinking right now, mm, maybe that's what I have. So tell us why a plant-based diet helps. Now, now you're a nutritionist. Now this is putting on your nutritionist hat. Bring the science. Bring the science. Okay. Tell us why it works, not only for lupus, but for other autoimmune conditions. So all autoimmune conditions are an issue with inflammation. So the idea behind a whole foods plant-based diet, not just plant-based, a lot of people are confused. We can talk about that more. But a whole foods plant-based diet, avoiding processed foods and added sugars and all the junk, it reduces the inflammation in your body so that your body is able to heal itself and regulate the immune system better. Mm-hmm. So eating so eating something like, for me, canola oil is very, very processed. Mm-hmm. So I can tell within an hour if I've eaten something with canola oil in it. So whenever anyone tells me, oh, canola oil is not inflammatory, I say, yes, it is. At least it is for me, because I know that it is. So it's really important what you put in your body directly affects your symptoms, especially Mm -hmm. if you have an autoimmune disease. Uh Uh So I know we say vegetable oil. Um, but canola oil. So what would be a better oil? What is an oil that's not as inflammatory? So the least inflammatory is extra virgin olive oil. So if you have to use an oil, just use a tiny amount of that. But we really don't need to use any added oils. (gasps) It would be better. Yes. (laughs) No, great. Uh, no, I know. It's tough. It's, it's an adjustment. Yes. I mean, a lot of the plant-based doctors who are out there who've written books yeah. are very anti-oil. Yeah. I think a little bit of olive oil is okay if you wanted to use a spray on something that you feel like it's going to stick to a pan or something. You can use a little bit. But I don't pour olive oil over a salad or dip bread in it or right. Right. definitely don't want to fry anything. Right. So, I mean, oil is just... It's pretty much empty calories, really, when you when you think about it, that you're yeah. adding that you don't need. You could use I would rather eat an avocado than have mm-hmm. a tablespoon and a half of oil. Yeah. I think of it that way. Yeah. So and and guys, she said that it's processed. So remember, I think people think, oh, okay, well, it's not in a bag, you know, and it's oil and it comes from an olive. So how is it processed? It's processed because you can't pick up an oil you can't pick up a um, olive and it's not like you can open it like a coconut and there's milk in the middle you know like right. it come this way somebody had to go through a process to extract the oil from the olive so that is why it is processed which we are right. try- trying to stay away from processed foods okay right and you can think of it this way the more processed it is the harder it is for our bodies to recognize it as food oh oh Nuggets, nuggets. Stop for a second. We are freezing. Ah, sorry, I'm freezing. That's okay. Sorry, my internet spotty or something. I don't know what's going on. It's the devil. You get into it. It is the straight <laughs> devil. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> okay. All right. Thank y'all for editing this out. Okay. <laughs> 
Sorry. <laughs> okay, so that's a huge nugget. The more processed something is, the harder it is for our body to recognize it. And so our body is like scrambling, trying to figure out what the heck this is. And that scramble is inflammation. Am I right? right? Yeah, it's your immune system attacking something foreign. Mm. Wow. <laughs> wow. All right. I told y'all get your pen and paper. Get your pen and paper. All right. Keep going. We talked about oils. What else? Okay. So big ones would be your red and processed meats. And those are bad for lots of reasons. And people are going to just lose their minds over the red meat part because a lot of people are really defensive about that, even other nutritionists. But there are reasons. So one big one is, this is pretty scientific, but they're TMAOs. And it's trimethylamine in oxide. And it is a metabolite that is produced in our gut bacteria when it is fed certain things. <laughs> and those things are choline and L-carnitine, which you get from meat and dairy and eggs. So when you eat those things, it feeds your gut bacteria and it causes a certain type of gut bacteria to thrive. And your gut bacteria is related to your immune system. It supports your immune system or harms it depending on what foods you put into your body. So if you're eating a whole foods plant-based body that mm. uh, you're eating a whole foods plant-based diet, you are feeding a certain type of gut bacteria that scientists have found will benefit your immune system. But people who are eating a lot of fast food, a lot of red meats, a lot of just standard American diet foods, mm -hmm. they have a different types of bacteria growing and thriving in their guts that are not good for their immune systems. Wow. So a byproduct of your gut bacteria is this TMAO, which causes inflammation in your body, specifically your arteries, and contributes to coronary artery disease, which can contribute to heart attacks. Okay. Liz, that's complicated. <laughs> Yeah, this is about to be a two-hour episode. I know. Okay, because I've had questions. Why is there controversy over that? If you can only... So, I mean, in my world, like BV, bacterial vaginosis, which I, I think a lot of women know about now, uh, and yeast infections. It's, you know, it's you have an overgrowth of the normal bacteria and they cause a problem. So in the form of BV, it's usually Gardnerella, your pH is off in your vagina, the bad bacteria take over and you have this fishy discharge and it smells awful. And so most people understand that now. Why is there controversy among nutritionists on that particular detail? Because we're feeding the wrong bacteria and it's causing problems. What's the, there's, there should be no gray in that. What's the controversy? Well, nutrition research is very complicated. It's hard to isolate variables. And also you just have, you have a lot of conflicting interests. Like you have the Dairy Council and um, the Cattle Ranchers Association, people who their livelihood can be really affected by negative research and negative press. And so it's easy to, to sponsor and design a study that conflicts with that. 
And I think that just saying, oh, I'm evidence-based, now it's kind of lost its meaning as a dietitian because you can point to a study to pretty much support anything you want it to say at this point. So, I, I mean, I, I think... I think you really have to find someone that you trust. Yeah. And like I trust Dr. Greger from nutritionfacts.org because he's combing yeah. through the research and he can figure out, okay, this study is bogus. We right. shouldn't listen to this. Right. Um, or it's just a small observational study that they want to they want to make headlines on Time Magazine with this and say, butter's right. that. You know, that I mean, yeah. everybody remembers that one. So I think there's it's very hard to pinpoint meat is bad because nobody wants nobody wants to admit that because people love meat and a lot of farmers depend on that Mm -hmm. so i mean i think that's that's one of them okay um another issue with meat is how it's cooked when you sear meats when you make it crispy if it's blackened it creates it creates something called ages which um is those are advanced glycation glycation end products very scientific (laughs) yes um and so those um those can contribute to cancer production oxidation and you're trying to avoid oxidation and so that's what that's another reason to avoid those because that can increase inflammation and just everything can be bad and um in your body if you're trying to avoid all that with an autoimmune disease but anyone in general not just people with autoimmune diseases everything is really all of the main diseases especially heart disease it's inflammation based just in the wow. arteries so i remember listening to and i won't it was on a, a morning show and i'll just say that the artists we call him uncle charlie and i guess he had had prostate cancer and he said y'all get that meat off the grill like he was basically saying quit grilling Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And like you said, people like lost their minds because that is a part of our culture, especially in the summertime, especially with family and reunions. And that's what we do. And so uh, this is why this is why I'm doing this podcast is because there are things that are ingrained in our minds, our culture, people who love us, like our our mother, father, family that we that have taught us things that are not helping us and are actually hurting us. And we've got to open our eyes and just start to see what the facts are. And I'm glad that you mentioned um, Dr. Greger's book. Uh, well, I'm glad you mentioned nutritionfacts.org, which that's the website. But he also has the book How Not to Die, which he has a chapter specifically on autoimmune conditions. So he takes the conditions like diabetes, hypertension, chapter by chapter. So, mm-hmm. all right. So going back to like, okay, our parents have given us stuff, you know, that we think they think are good and for our benefit. Let's talk about dairy. Okay. Let's talk about dairy. We're we're giving our newborns formula, cow's milk formula. So come on, give me the science on that one. Okay, dairy is a tough one because... There is research that shows some benefits. There's some research that shows that it's anti-inflammatory. Again, what do you trust? I trust the research of Dr. Furman and Dr. Greger, uh, and there are many more. Um, The China study is one that's been cited many times, although 
that one's people are saying, oh, that's old. I mean, whatever you want to, whatever you want to take. But to me, it makes sense because cow's milk is is the milk of a mother cow, and it is designed to grow a baby cow into a big cow. We don't drink the milk of any other species. Come on, our, we feed our children human breast milk. And then they wean off of it and they have no need of it, need for it anymore because they get their nutrients from food, ideally. Cow's milk, if you're an adult drinking cow's milk, the only thing in your body that you're trying to grow at that point is cancer. So to me, that makes logical sense. <laughs> and and you know, there are plenty of people who will say, okay, there's research that says that it promotes mucus production. Mm -hmm. Now there's the counter research that shows that it doesn't. Well, I could tell you 15 people who have told me that it does. And I know that's anecdotal yeah. and you can't take that yeah. scientifically. But even personally, if you're feeling congested and you're, you eat some cheese, you can tell there's a difference. So I just think it's not good for us. We don't need it. Children don't need it. And especially if you're eating a balanced whole foods plant-based diet you can get all the nutrients that you need from that and you don't need any added right. dairy at all right but i do believe that it's and i believe the studies that show that it's inflammatory and i believe all the doctors who, who preach that so yes yes that's my yeah it's just it's just nature though like you don't i'm not I, when i speak i tell folks you don't see a goat walk up to a cow to get breastfed like that's just not the way it is and for people listening okay maybe we they don't know about mucus but all of us know somebody who either has to pop a lactate or they have to leave the room after eating ice cream because it causes gas it upsets the gi um tract so that you're you're lacking the enzyme for that specific type of milk and that's why it causes problems so okay all right. So when people say, because this is a big one, I'm going to get, oh, but where am I going to get my calcium? Where am I going to get my calcium? Because, you know, okay, Saturday mornings are cereal. Maybe you can drink oat milk, almond milk. Takes a little bit to get adjusted. But um, where am I getting my calcium, Mary Ross? Well, if you are eating a proper whole foods plant-based diet you're eating a large salad at least one large salad every day so you're getting your calcium from where the cows get their calcium which is the leafy greens so that should be the number one source you can also get it from almonds sesame seeds there's plenty of places um, in the plant-based world where the, there's calcium so if you're eating well you shouldn't have to worry about it at all and there are actually studies that show there's really no difference in bone densities between vegans and um, people who are non-vegan with the exception of people who are very very thin because you need that weight so i tell all my clients to add weight training exercises just to maintain their bones but it's not so much the calcium that you eat yeah, yeah. from that so exactly okay thank you for clearing that up so Listen, go go do your own research. She dropped a bomb. She said, if you're drinking milk, the only thing you're growing or you need to be growing is cancer. Because, I mean, you're already grown. You don't need more growth hormone. 
right? So go do your research. That's a big one. All right. Any, any more foods or anything else that you think that we should remove from our diet to reduce inflammation and, and help us reverse our autoimmune, con- or not our, autoimmune conditions? Well, I'd say the biggest one, if, if I have a client who's very stubborn and says, I can't give up, I can't give up meat and cheese. And I say, okay, well, let's start giving up processed foods. So the highly processed, ultra processed things that you see. So like stop eating fried foods, cut out eating, eating out as often things that are really, really salty, high in oils, lots of added sugars your baked goods that have the enriched flours and things like that. Again, going back to the processed foods, your body can't recognize them. So that'll be your first thing because those foods will cause you to overeat and that causes them to have more fat on their bodies and more fat can contribute to autoimmune diseases as well because your fat cells produce the estrogen and it it increases the inflammation in your body. So Dr. Furman actually wants his patients to be quite thin. So, <laughs> so you want people to be eating just the plants and try to aim for that. And I tell people, reduce your meat. So try eating yes. Yes. One, one meal a day that doesn't have meat in it. And then make it two meals a day or just increase your portion sizes. Because even the USDA portion size is four ounces. That's the size of a deck of cards. I mean, how many people do you know, especially if you're eating out, if they gave you a piece of meat the size of a deck of cards, you'd complain because that's so small, (laughs) according to our standards. Right. I just try to tell people, just stop eating potato chips, cakes, sweetened things, cut out the sodas, start there, and you'll just, you'll see a benefit from that. Hand going up. I'm asking Okay. For the listener, because I've been down this road, mm-hmm. I'm giving up the grease, I'm giving up the fat, I'm giving up the sugar. So when I'm starting to eat a plant-based diet, it does not taste good. It doesn't taste good. But you have some in- interesting information about our test- taste buds and how they will do what? So your taste buds actually regenerate every two weeks. So ideally, it wouldn't take much longer than that for your taste buds to change. What takes longer to change, though, is habits. So, for example, if someone's trying to get used to a low-salt diet, but they had a habit of going out to eat every Friday night, if they cut out salt during the week and then they go out to eat on Friday, they're getting something that's probably a sodium bomb. So it's going to be harder for your taste buds to adjust to that. But I do tell clients, you do get to a point where you look forward to your big colorful salad every day. And they eventually do get to that point if you stick with it. And it doesn't take that long. I say give it a month. Mm -hmm. Try it for a month. And most people don't miss meat at all. In fact, they see see meat and they say, that's kind of gross. Like they, they start to see it as that is a dead animal. I want a colorful plate. I don't want a beige plate. <laughs> I don't yeah. want biscuit and gravy and sausage anymore. That does not appeal to me. You get used to eating the light, fresh, crunchy things. 
for me, I had to teach myself how to cook after college and it helped Mm -hmm. that I was living by myself, but you can do it. I just got on the internet and there are so many good resources and I just tried recipes that sounded good to me and that's how I learned how to cook. And I use all kinds of spices. I use Ethiopian spices, curries, all kinds of stuff. You have to learn how to season your food. And I feel like a lot of Americans (laughs) don't season that (laughs) food. I see your face. Well, they're seasoning salt and pineapple and sugar and maybe some garlic or onion powder. But when you're talking about seasoning, you're talking about spices. Spices that we've never heard of. Like if you go to an Indian grocery store or an international food market, they've got spices, seasoning that make your food flavorful. Yes. And there's so many different curry powders and just different things. And a lot of those are anti-inflammatory. So it just helps you even, even more. Ah, ah. You're making a case. You're making a case. And and listen, guys, you know, Dr. V, I, I'm always transparent. Um, you know, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine does promote a plant-predominant diet. And the show before this one, I talked about a standard. There is just, there's a gold standard. The more plants you eat, the better, period. Um, no shortcuts, no discounts. But, you know, 95% is the goal. So I'm I'm not at 95%. Maybe I'm at 70%. What she is saying, though, is true. Your taste buds do actually change. Ask anybody who's gone off of sugar. I know y'all know some people. Or even if you've done it yourself. The minute you reduce the sugar intake, when you eat something that you, like your sweet tea that you used to drink all the time, it tastes way, 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 way too sweet. It tastes too sweet. Another thing, as you were talking, grow your own fruits and vegetables. That's another place where when I started growing my my own vegetables, they just taste better, especially when you eat them fresh. Like you cut them out of the garden, go put them in whatever you're going to do, cook them, slice them. They taste so much sweeter, so much more flavorful. So that's another way to get good food on your palate is to grow your fruits and vegetables and you can grow exactly what you'd like um, unless it's like fruit from the tropics and you don't live in a tropical region. But anyway, okay. So we're going long on this episode. Mary Ross, this is so good. And thank you for bringing the science. I am learning a lot. Lastly, and you've kind of alluded to this with the salad every day. Give us a rundown of of what we can eat a full day from breakfast to snacks to dinner all the way through just eating a whole food plant-based diet so breakfast i would say start with a simple i mean oatmeal and you can lightly sweeten it if that's what you need a little bit of maple syrup or something that whatever you want Throw some berries on there. A few walnuts would be great. Any kind of nut that you like, that would be a great breakfast. Or you could do a granola if it's not too oiled or too sweetened. You could do something like that. Just a grain would be good. I have even done a baked sweet potato with almond butter and blueberries on it. It sounds really weird, but the science shows that if you eat 
a hearty breakfast and you have a lot of those starches in there, you'll just stay fuller longer and you're just helping, you're just feeding your brain so you can make it through the day. So that's an idea. For, I thought carbs are bad for you. Aren't carbs bad for you and make you fat? Oh, man. A potato. A potato. Sweet potatoes are so good for you, especially if they're purple sweet potatoes. Those are the, the highest in the in the phytonutrients. But sweet potatoes are fantastic. I recommend them even for people who are pre-diabetic. So those are great. But definitely put some kind of nuts or nut butter or something in there with them so you also have the fats and a little bit of protein. Be great. Yes. So for lunch is key, especially for people who are trying to lose weight, just a big salad. And if you follow me on Instagram, I like to post pictures of my salad and I get lots of responses. It's Mary, Mary Ross F is my name on Instagram. So if you're interested, but I post my pictures and people just message me and they say, what, what is that? That looks like, looks like watermelons. Is it, is it a radish? And I say, it's a watermelon radish. <laughs> and I got it at the farmer's market. So it's just very, just make it as colorful as you can and put, make sure you have some kind of bean. I tell people bean or lentils or tofu cubes, some kind of maybe a half cup of beans on your salad. So you want to stay full because some people say, oh, I just put carrots and tomato and cucumber and I'm hungry in 30 minutes. Well, you have to make it a little substantial and you have to make it bigger than you think. Because I think the biggest adjustment for people is portion sizes because they're used to there's this hunk of meat on there and that's going to fill me up. I mean, I do a big bowl, large salad, try to eat a whole head of romaine in there or whatever, whatever greens you like, get it all in there and chew it, chew, chew it well. That can also be an adjustment for people. It can cause some, some bloating. So chewing everything really well helps, but just make it very colorful. So real quick, satiety, that's the, the sense of feeling full. The large, the larger the salad helps you feel full. But what else do you put on your salad to help make you feel full? I put um, a few slices of avocado too. So you have the fat because I'm not drizzling oil over my salad. So you need some kind of fat. And I also do a small handful of seeds on there, you need to have seeds every day, trying to get the omega-3 fats in there. So I'll do unroasted, unsalted sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds. You could do pine nuts, really anything that and, you like. So you're getting, your your body's able to absorb vitamins A, D, E, and K, which are your fat-soluble vitamins. You need some fat, but if you drizzle oil all over your salad, I mean, you might as well. <laughs> Just yeah. go eat a sandwich or something, but okay. And you you say to eat a bean too. Beans, yes. The the yeah. beans are yeah some kind of legume will help you stay full. I like to throw sliced beets on there. You can have some kind of starchy things just to make it interesting. Add lots of texture to it. Maybe okay. again, make it colorful. Make it art. And wait, are you eating a dry salad? That's not gonna go over well. Oh no no no. Nothing on it. No, I don't put nothing on it. <laughs> I put flavored vinegars. Okay. You can choose. There's so many different ones that you can put on there. There's fig flavored ones. I've sort of gone back. I just do red wine vinegar, and then I do a sprinkle of nutritional yeast. 
which is kind of that. I, I like a more savory salad. I don't like it to be sweet, but you can do whatever. You want a balsamic, something like that. You can change it up. Sometimes I just, if I'm at a restaurant and they don't have any oil-free dressings, I will ask for lemon slices and you can do squeeze lemon juice over it and do just a little pinch of salt or lime or lime works as well. So any kind of citrus or acid will cut that greens flavor and help you out. Good. That's a good tip. Good tip. Yeah. Okay. I like it. All right. I'm trying to get us through uh, to, to dinner and then snacks. Okay. Dinner is a variety of things. The simple, if people are just starting out, I say find a beans and rice recipe and you're good. You mm-hmm. can put sliced avocado on top of it, make it more interesting. You can make it really spicy or you can make it mild. You can, it's so versatile. Or you could do a soup, a hearty. I do have lots of hearty soup recipes on my blog that are good. Any kind of curry dish. Mm-hmm. I have lots of clean out the fridge curries. And my family has gotten used to that. It's just <laughs> whatever it looks like it might be going bad, I'll cut it up and throw it into a into a pot and add the curries and ginger and garlic and it's always it's always good and I always have a side salad with it or and I'll cut up some fruit with that mm-hmm. so keep it interesting I have kids so I have to figure out what they will eat so I have a recipe for chickpea sloppy joes and that one is popular with kids can okay. you do this one sounds crazy but it's carrot dogs yeah and very good don't knock it till you try it because they're marinated in like liquid smoke and smoked paprika and garlic and they're a little salty you can make them less salty but i throw those in the crock pot and just have them cooking all day in the marinade so that my kids get very excited when they come into the house and they can smell it they say yeah carrot dog Oh my God! Do you have this recipe somewhere? <laughs> yeah, it's on my blog. So, oh man, okay. Yeah. So you give us a blog. Um, what what's the? Is it on your website? It's yes, it's dailydoseofgreens.com. Oh my! God. And you can just do a search for carrot dogs. I also have an amazing queso dip that blows people's minds. So it's just blended up veggies and cashews and. People think that they are eating queso. So oh that one's really good. Gosh. I, what about y'all? Are y'all like, when she said her kids say, yay, carrot dogs? <laughs> <laughs> but you had me when you said crock pot. <laughs> All of that. Yes. yes. That's easy. Marinade, just throw some stuff in there. Oh, man. Okay. We're going to be checking this out. Okay. Yes. So that is dinner for kids. What about snacks? Like if we get hungry throughout the day, we'll put some Mary Ross approved uh, snacks. I sometimes you can find oil-free hummus, so that's good. Hummus and veggies is always good if you have like a whole grain cracker. I mean, I know people are not going to get excited about carrots and hummus, so you could do crackers if you need to, or um, you know, low oil tortilla chip dipped in hummus or queso my queso or something like that would be would be easy obviously like a granola nuts and things but i tell people that you really shouldn't need to snack kids do because they're growing so i keep a lot of a lot of fruit on hand or 
fruit-based snack, like dried fruits are easy, bananas and apples, gotcha. obviously. Um, those little veggie pouches that they have for babies, my four-year-old still eats those. So he will ask for a pouch. So I say, sure, you can get them with okay. spinach, spinach and all kinds of things in them. And it's not just straight applesauce. There's lots of options okay. out there, but veggie pouches were past my time. They didn't have those out when I oh, <laughs> do they? But again, it sounds like there's a lot of options. Uh, so you're saying that we not if we're eating full, hearty, balanced, colorful um, foods, that we shouldn't that should last us to the next meal. Is yes. that what saying? We shouldn't have to snack all day. Okay. Exactly. Yes. And it gives your body, your body kind of needs that break between meals anyway. So it's really better to not let yourself snack all day. Okay. And that's a good point because everybody's talking about intermittent fasting. Uh, that, that's the big thing. We won't touch that. But what you're saying is your body doesn't need to be processing food, you know, every minute of the day, that it does need some time to kind of de- regroup get those vitamins and minerals um, distributed and take a break. Got it. Right. Easy yeah. peasy. Okay. So this has been, this has been good. <laughs> uh, I, let's talk about real quick, like, well, I don't want to go there. I was going to ask you where can we find it, but Give, give us a sum up. Anything that you want to share with your listeners. We've talked about lupus. We've talked about autoimmune conditions. What affects that plant-based diet? What to eat? Anything else you want to share with us? Yes, I would say we've we've focused on diet. Obviously, I'm a dietitian and diet has helped me a lot. But I want to say I'm not cured. I wish I could say that. I did have moments in life where I had some symptoms. They were relatively mild. So I will say I've been very fortunate in that it's just been mild joint pain or fatigue. But I think it takes us back to the ACLM's six pillars of health. And when I look back to when I was diagnosed, I was not following five of those. (laughs) Oh, wow. So I was not eating... I was eating a standard American college kids diet. I was exercising. I mean, you walk everywhere and I was running and things like that. I did not have good stress management. That was a very big one. Davidson is very difficult academically. My boyfriend and I had just broken up beginning of the previous semester. That was very stressful for me. I was Mm -hmm. depressed. I wasn't really taking care of myself mentally as I should have been. I wasn't avoiding risky substances because I was in college and I would drink on the weekends with my friends. And I was definitely not getting restorative sleep. I was not getting the seven to eight hours that they recommend. So it was kind of the perfect storm for me. I mean, it's no surprise that my my lupus decided to show up at that point in my life. So I tell clients to really pay attention to all of that. And then the the sixth one was social connection. And when I look back, all of my friends were studying abroad that semester. And I the only reason I had stayed was to be with my boyfriend because it was his senior year. So I didn't have any of that except for exercise. <laughs> 
And so I tell people, you know, you can eat perfectly, but if you don't manage those other aspects of your life, you might still have symptoms. So when I look back, I had, after those three years where I had no symptoms, I got into a relationship and it became abusive. And then I had a huge flare up. I mean, I had a fever, I had hair loss. It, w- it was really, I could barely walk. I had to go spend the night at my parents' house because I said, I don't think I can dress myself. My joints hurt so bad. Mm. So that was a huge turning point for me of there's there's more to it. And I had sort of gotten off. You know, you kind of think after a while that you're invincible. Like I'm, I'm cured. I haven't had symptoms in three years. I can go yeah. back to, I can eat fish and I can, you know, you kind of slide a little bit. Oh, they put cheese on my salad at a restaurant. I'll just eat it anyway instead of sending it back and... So I think it's one of those things you have to maintain and you really have to listen to your body. Body. Oh, man. That's perfect. That's what we call holistic health. Uh, And that's why I'm a member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, because it's not just one thing. It's a whole lifestyle rehaul. Um, So thank you for saying that. You can you can eat everything she said, y'all. And then, you know, go, I don't know, you cannot sleep and drink all you want and you're still going to have the issues. So um, I like to say that, you know, we're works in progress, but if you move or lean into um, everything that she just said, you will definitely see the benefits. And so um, you mentioned several times, you know, the research can be conflicting, but you are an N of one. And what that means is try it out on yourself. If it works for you, then that's all that matters. So if cutting back on certain oils seems to help, getting more sleep seems to help. Eating that healthier salad makes your poops feel so much better, and they will. That's one of the best things about a plant-based diet uh, is that is a wonderfully working GI tract. Um, yeah, if it works for you, then that's really all that matters. And so... Um, Mary Ross, tell us how we can get, you've already told us a, a few things, but just in one little brief snippet, we need more. How can we get more of all of this? I have a lot of recipes on my blog that I, I do love cooking and just have a passion for coming up with healthy recipes that actually taste good. And it's my way of converting friends to a more plant-based diet. So my website is dailydoseofgreens.com. And there's my contact information is on there if you wanted to contact me if anybody has any questions. I also have an Instagram account that I keep up with a little bit more than the blog. And my name on there is Mary Ross F. So that would be great if you wanted to follow me and you can see because I post a lot of tips in my stories, things like that. So, oh, man. Oh, man. Well, listen, Dr. V is going to try some of these and I'm going to post them on Instagram and I'm going to tag you Mary Ross F guys. So you guys be looking out for it. Uh, I really want to try this. I got sweet potatoes right now with the almond butter and blueberries. Going to try that one and definitely hit up the carrot dolls and queso. So yes, (laughs) if you don't take away anything from this episode, (laughs) you can take away that. And listen to your mother. Yes. (laughs) I have truly, truly enjoyed this. 
this is going to help a lot of people. I'm not so. I wish you all the best uh, and continue to keep spreading the word. And I'm just so happy that you are here with us. You're not cured, but your lupus is not running your life. You're not in the dialysis unit. You're not, right. you know, you're, you're here with us. And so God speak to you on that. So guys, thank you for listening again. And we'll see you next time on office visits with Dr. V. Thank <laughs> you.